There's going to be five parts to this. There's someone there, noise. Can you hear this? Yeah, Is it? Yeah, yeah. Can, we, can we do something about this noise? Yes. Uh, is that better? Yeah. Uh, still there a bit. Okay. 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 Uh, might be better. Okay. So yeah, there's there's five in this series because what I'm talking about is the warnings that we find in the book of Hebrews. There are five warnings given to us as Christians. And sometimes when you read them, they come across as threats. And I was, I was thinking about this, I thought every warning can come across as a threat. Because the warning tells you to do something, and if you don't do it, something quite unpleasant could possibly happen to you. And so these are warnings to us. Now, God loves us immensely. So they're not threats. God isn't saying, listen... If you don't do what I tell you to do, you're in big trouble. He's saying, listen, please do this because we are in a world where many things are mitigating against us to destroy us. So listen to me carefully. There are warnings so you can get the very best out of this Christian walk and this Christian experience. The first one that we looked at is found in chapter 2 of Hebrews and in verse 1 and actually, in my Bible, the editor has, has written um, a heading over this particular passage. It's not scripture, but he has written in there. And he calls it a warning to pay attention. You might remember what I was preaching on. The verse said, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so we do not drift away. These warnings get more and more severe as we go through the book of Hebrews. So this first one is encouraging us to pay attention. No, it's saying pay careful attention. No, it's saying pay more careful attention. So your attitude towards this word that is being preached to you today is you do not have the liberty to phase in and out. You cannot be thinking about other things when the word of God is preached to you, otherwise you're disobedient. You are not paying careful attention to the warning. If we don't pay careful attention, just sort of a loose, uh, hear some bits, don't hear some bits, there is a danger, he's saying, that you'll drift away from what God has for you. Your life will just drift. There will be no focus. There will be no direction for your Christian life and it will simply go nowhere and you'll drift into eternity with God. Jesus said, or it was said of him when he was going to the cross, he was focused for the joy that was set before him you ever asked yourself what was that joy obviously as you read around you get lots of suggestions and ideas somebody once suggested the focus that Jesus had was the joy of returning to heaven I don't believe that for one minute I'll tell you why because it is a selfish focus and if there is anything that Jesus wasn't 
He was selfish. He was never selfish. So that's not the joy that was set before him. The joy that was set before him is the same joy that you should have set before you. And it was to fulfill the mission that he was here for. The joy that was set before him is that he would endure and go to the cross and die and be raised from the dead so that we would enjoy the justification before God. That was the joy. And your joy is not getting to heaven. Oh, come on. You're going to get there. If you did nothing until now, until Jesus comes, you'd still get there. So that isn't the focus. Your focus is not heaven. The end is not heaven. The focus that you must have is the same as Jesus, to fulfill the mission, your reason why you're here, the purpose of your existence. And the warning is, unless you pay close attention to what God is saying, your life will just drift aimlessly, like this. And then you'll die and go to heaven. And you'll say, what on earth was that all about? He might as well have just taken me the day I got saved. Because I haven't done anything. I haven't fulfilled the purpose. I haven't succeeded in the mission which he gave me in the same way he gave Christ. That was it. That was last time's sermon, okay? This one now, that's just by a recap, okay? Are you warmed up now? Now the second one gets more severe than the first one. And wait till I get to, to number five. I'm not preaching five sermons, I don't think, before Christmas, so... You, it's going to get intensive in 2016, okay? But, but this, this warms up as well, this one. The second uh, warning that we have is found in chapter 3, starts in verse 7 and goes through to chapter 4 and finishes at 13. So it's quite a chunk there, but it, the whole thing is a warning. I'm not going to read it to you now. I'm going to read it to you um, in maybe five or ten minutes' time. I want to set the, the background to what he's talking about because some of you might be... You might know your Bibles very well and you can easily pick up what he's talking about. Others of you might, well, I, I, can't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're relating to. This, this book of Hebrews is written to a Jewish group of people, congregation. That's why it's called the book of Hebrews. And the writer to these people, he knows that they know Jewish history very well. They know about their fathers, their forefathers going back for thousands of years, and they know the history of them. What they know more than anything else is about a man called Moses, because Moses was their deliverer. He was their type of Christ. He brought them out of captivity into a place of freedom. He was their patriarch. To him, he was the greatest man that they ever knew that walked on the face of the earth. And Hebrews writer is saying, he was a fantastic man, but I'll tell you something, there's somebody more fantastic than him, and his name is Jesus. And he is our deliverer, he is our saviour, he is the one who takes us out of captivity. So, what is the background then to this reading? Written to a Jewish audience, reminding them of an, of an event in their history that took place about 2,000 years ago. It was when this man, Moses brought them out of captivity and took them to the edge of the promised land for where they were to go in and possess the promised land. The challenge, the, the warning that we have here, and it's highlighted in my Bible from uh, 
chapter 3 and verse 7, it's a warning against unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief is where you know what God wants you to do and you do not do it. That's the warning. He says, don't live like this. When you know what you're supposed to do, do it. Because God will give you the grace to do it. So don't wander in unbelief. It wasn't that the children of Israel did not hear from God. They chose not to trust him and believe him and to do what he told them to do. It's just like you and me. Just like you and me. We know what we should do, but fail to do it so often. Because we too can have unbelieving hearts. And there is a very serious warning here. So Moses led the children of Israel out of captivity through the Red Sea to the borders of the Promised Land. It took them 14 days to get out of there into there. So they were on the borders now of the Promised Land. And God said to them very clearly, we'll look at a verse. He said, I want you to go in and possess the land that I have for you. We read it in Deuteronomy 1 and 21. This is Moses speaking to the people with reference to what God has said. God said, go up and take possession of it. This is the promised land. As the Lord, the God of your forefathers, told you, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. He knew they would be afraid and he knew they would be discouraged. Daphne spoke a very good word last week on entering into the resting place of God, finding peace with God. And she admitted to being fearful. And the enemy loves it when fear can come and dominate our lives. But how Daphne pushed through these things by the grace of God, not to let fear curtail her or stop her or rob her of the things of God. Sometimes we are derailed in our Christian experience, our journey, our time with God, because of fear and discouragement. Now, I was pondering this. They decided to send in 12 spies into the promised land. Risky business. A prince from every tribe was sent in. I don't think God told them to do this. If God sends you on a mission, don't do any research. Don't do it. Just go. Because the more you research, there's a strong possibility you ain't going to do it. God says go to some, what would appear to be a God-forsaken part of the world, and you read about all the murders and the Christians that are massacred and all this, you go, I'm going to pray about this one a bit more, whether I should go. To this quarter of the world. Why would you look? Why would you even want to know? Why would now if you want to know because you're gonna go anyway because God told you and you want a bit of understanding? I'm all for that. But they didn't go on that purpose. They went into the promised land to see what it was like. Now, all the 12 spies came back with the same report. Do you realize that? They said, listen, it's flowing in abundance. 
They brought back some of the produce and they said, we've never seen anything like this. Green, fertile, lush, smash in place. Positive side, negative. There are enormous cities that we will have to destroy. There are giants in the land. There are wild animals in the land. There are armies to be defeated. There is challenges every day of our lives if we go into the promised land. They had a vote. Don't vote in church. Not a good idea. Not a good idea to vote. Because the majority are fearful and discouraged. And therefore you'll never advance. You want to listen to men and women who have faith. Who have heard God. And you get before God and say, God, are they hearing right? I don't want to hear about the negatives and the positives. I want to know what you're telling me to do. Two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, it is horrific in there. It's The battle is going to be horrendous. Giants, 45 cities with walls 30 feet thick. Can you believe it? We, and that's the first city that we take. We haven't seen the rest of the place. The, 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 the cities might get more worse and there might be more enemies, but, but, but this is it. But with God, we can do it. And he's told us to go. So let's trust him. The other 12, they said, too difficult. Can't go there. They're going to smash us. We'll be destroyed. So many of us will be killed. And so what they did, these 10 convinced the others not not to go in, not to trust God. That's very serious. Very serious. So they're poised. They decide not to go in. God had one plan, the promised land. There wasn't another one. Uh, The wilderness wasn't plan two. The wilderness was just the wilderness. Nothing. Nothing. That's why it was called a wilderness. There were no cities to take in the wilderness. There were no armies to fight. There were no giants to slay. There were no wild animals to contend with. There wasn't even a life of faith that could be lived in the wilderness. They didn't choose the wilderness. They rejected the promised land. Millions of Christians all over the world reject the promised land. And there might just be some of you in here this morning who were rejecting the promised land. The promised land is not heaven. The promised land is alien territory. The promised land is where the enemy is. The promised land is where the war is. The promised land is where death is. The promised land is where the challenges are. The promised land is a terrible place. A terrible place. In comparison, the wilderness 
is a piece of cake. No enemies in the wilderness. You don't have to live by faith in the wilderness because God gives you shoes, he gives you clothes, he gives you stuff to drink, he gives you food. He even gives you central heating at night with a great column of fire to warm you in the desert. And when the sun's blistering down on your poor head, he creates an enormous cloud that you can get under and bask. But it says that God is angry with you for every moment you live in this wonderful idyllic, perfect surrounding because you have rejected the promised land. Because in the promised land, there is no provision for you whatsoever. No shoes, no coats, no pillar, no, no cloud, no water, no food. There's nothing. Do you know what you need in the promised land? Shout it out! Faith! 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 Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you're going to choose somewhere where there's no faith in operation, God promises to be angry with you until the day you die and he buries you in the dust of the wilderness. What a terrible way to live your life. And millions of Christians live faithless lives. Faith to get saved, yes, but that's so easy. That's a gift. Faith to live by. Faith to depend on God. Faith to trust on God. Faith to face a city with enormous walls and say, God, in the natural, I can't do this. You've got to do something. Enormous opposition against you. And you just fall on your knees and say, in my own strength, I am already defeated. But I throw myself upon you, God, and we will be victorious. If you're not living there, your Christian life is so miserable and so sad and so empty and so pointless and so wilderness. Do you believe me? I tell you it's true. That's why he's warning them in this passage. They knew nothing of the joy of victory in the wilderness. You imagine the joy when Jericho fell down. Whoa, what? there's nothing we cannot do now. We can smash everyone. We don't think we even need God. Come on, let's take AI and smash it. And they were defeated. God says, no, you walk by faith every step of the way and you consult me and you walk with me and you talk to me and I will show you how to do everything. I cannot do anything in my life. And if I thought for one minute I was capable, I would hit myself hard across the faith and remind myself, unless I walk and trust God with everything in my life, I will be a failure in the sight of God. You can do nothing in your own strength. What are you, Esther? You're a miserable sinner. (laughs) Miserable, miserable woman. You say, why do you pick on Esther? 
well, Esther's here in the week, so I pick on her every day. <laughs> and I preach sermons to her, telling her how she miserable she is and how she needs to trust in God every step of the way. And she's slowly taking root in her life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sometimes she doesn't talk to me from one day to another because she doesn't want to hear that again. They knew nothing of living by faith. They knew nothing of God's deliverance. They knew nothing of the peace and love of God in their heart. How could they know his peace and love if he was angry for them for 40 years? How could they have known his peace and love? They knew nothing of the dwelling place of God that Daphne spoke about last week because they never found their rest. Their rest in God was in the promised land. That rest is a misnomer. There's no rest at all. There's no rest. The rest comes when we eventually go to the next world. There is no rest now. And if you think Christianity has come to bring you love and joy and peace and happiness and serenity, no, it hasn't. It hasn't. It's come to bring you battling and fighting and dying and sacrifice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Their lives amounted to nothing. Nothing. No direction. No purpose. Nothing. For 40 years, nothing. No direction. No purpose. Round and round and round in the desert. Yes, wonderfully provided for by God. And let me tell you, God will provide for you until the day you die. But that's not what we want, is it? Want to live by faith. Want to possess the land. Better read this to you now before I get too excited. <laughs> Daphne, come and read this. <laughs> I don't like reading publicly. Do you know that? I don't like it. Read, read from there. And all this stuff in green. Off you go, girl. (laughs) (laughs) As the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on earth oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Where'd you get to? The end. Keep going, girl, all the way down there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's me. 
Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. It still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Thank you, darling. Yep, wonderful. Good. Talk. There are some words there that are repeated several times. The promised land is never mentioned in that passage, but what is mentioned 10 times is entering into God's rest. Now, God's rest is not doing nothing. God's rest is stepping into a battleground, a place of activity, a place of endeavor, but we rest in God. You go in the wilderness and you will not rest for one day. Do you know what they were good at in the wilderness? Yes? Moaning, Moaning, grumbling and complaining. And of course, if you've got nothing to do, no enemy to defeat, no giants to slay, no cities to take, you just walk around all day kicking the dust up in the air and God providing everything for you, you will moan and complain and grumble. But it was on their own head. It's not what he wanted. So don't ever grumble, moan and complain in my presence ever again. Ever. Because you are indicating... Instead of being in the promised land, instead of entering into rest, instead of pursuing the purpose for your life, you are wandering around, aimlessly lost, finding things to complain about. You say, that's a bit harsh. Tough. (laughs) The other thing that we read in here is repeated five times, is the word today. Today, we're going to see the importance of this word. First thing, though, I want to point out to you, and there's so much in this. I mean, there's like 10 sermons, at least, if not 20 sermons in this, to understand everything. So I'm only jumping at two or three things this morning. The first thing is found in chapter 3 and verse 7. So it says, as the Holy Spirit says, and then it quotes from the Old Testament what God had said. The Holy Spirit is the spokesman 
both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, of God. God speaks to you through the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to come into your heart and live inside of you. Don't keep him outside. Invite the Holy Spirit in his fullness into you and only that way will you hear the voice of God speaking to you. Do not reject the ingress of the Holy Spirit. And more and more of his spirit we want in us because he is the one who conveys to us the very words of God. This Holy Spirit requires that we have a tender, humble, listening heart. If you don't, he will not talk to you. He won't. You can be praying your socks off, but unless you embrace the Holy Spirit with some humility and surrenderedness and yieldedness, you will never hear the voice of God ever in your life. He might speak through the scriptures as we come to it and we expect him to speak to us. We must pay more careful attention Don't read over it and you go, oh, I know all that. I've heard that all before. There's so much more deep inside there that if we let it come, it'll just feed us a whole lot more. Maybe we hear from uh, somebody preaching or somebody talking. The Spirit of God speaks to you. The Spirit of God is speaking to you this morning without a shadow of a doubt. But it's not the speaker that's the important one. It's the listener who is hearing the voice of God and doing something about that. To do nothing is to have an unbelieving heart. And that's a warning that we're talking about here. So it's through the third person. Or the Holy Spirit can come directly to you and speak into your heart. You just know this to be God speaking to us. It says in verse 12 of chapter 3, When God speaks, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. When God tells you to do something, you say yay and amen. Just like you expect him to say yes and amen to your prayers, you say yes and amen to what he tells you to do. And you're going to have a great relationship with God. I said to you many times, the answer is yes. The answer's never no. The answer's not I'll pray about it. The answer's not I'll think about it. The answer is yes, yes, yes. So the second warning, very clear here, is don't ignore when he is speaking. Point two I want to draw out here. I said the word today is used many times. In chapter 3, it's verse 7, 13, 15, and chapter 4, it's mentioned twice in verse 7. Today. When God speaks, he doesn't speak for you to do something tomorrow. It's today. God is the God of today. God is an eternal being with no yesterday and no tomorrow. And because you have the eternal spirit within you, there is no yesterday. Forget it. All the mess you made, all the mistakes you made, all the good things you did, all the stupid things you did, forget it. It's gone. It's past. It's irrelevant. And there is no tomorrow. Do you understand? Tomorrow does not exist. There's today. 
The eternal God lives in today. Every day is a new day. Every day is the day we live in. You say, haven't you got any plans, Phil? No, I've got no plans. I've got some weird ideas, but I ain't got any plans. My plan is that I will fulfill the God of today. And one day, one day, I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up and I'll be in another place. Just another day. But that will place will be the eternal presence of Almighty God. Just another day. Just another day. Another day in his presence. It says in 3 and 13, not doing what God says to you to do, being hard-hearted by sin's deceitfulness. When God speaks, sin, and sin is a person. Do you understand that? Sin is a person. It says in Genesis, God said, Cain, do you not realise that sin is crouching at the door? Oh, sin is a person crouching. Sin's deceitfulness. So when God says for you to do something today, sin says to you, tomorrow will do. Tomorrow will do. You've got plenty of time. You don't have to do that today. You do that tomorrow. That's Satan speaking to you. I'll go and pray about this. I don't mind you praying about anything. But don't use it as a delaying tactic because the enemy's so smart. You delay, you give a foothold to the enemy. The devil's favourite word is tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll get round to that tomorrow. I'll read my Bible through in one year tomorrow. I'll start praying for my wife tomorrow. I will start tithing tomorrow. I will start giving to missions tomorrow. Who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? That's called hardening your heart. Sin's deceitfulness. There's nothing that will harden your heart more than delay. Do you know what God is telling you to do today, now? Do you want to know? Completely surrender your life to God. Don't hold anything back. Don't have any agendas. Don't have your plans. Don't have your purposes. Don't have any directions for your life. But abandon yourself to trust God. Not tomorrow. Not when this gets sorted out, when I get married, when this happens, when the kids leave home, when this happens. Today, 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 surrender all to God. Today, give all your finances to God. Today, today, today. There is no tomorrow. Tomorrow is a deception. Today, God said, Let's go into the land of promise. I was thinking, you know, 14 days from Egypt to the borders of the promised land. They send the spies in. I think they were only there 48 hours. They were there and out very quick. So within a few days of leaving captivity, they were facing this major decision in their life. Maybe no more than 20 days after leaving captivity in Egypt, promised land or no promised land. And they said, we will not trust our lives to the living God. 
That's it. And God said, well, you'll have to go this way then. The wilderness was not prepared for them. The wilderness was what was left, having rejected a life of trusting in the living God. What a terrible, frightful thing. The third point I want to make is this word rest. As I said, it's not promised land, but it is promised land because the promised land is the land of rest, mentioned ten times. Like I said, it couldn't be any further from the truth. There was no rest in the promised land. There was no rest. They went from one one challenge to the next, every step of the way, until they fully occupied the land. That's it. You go, I don't like this Christianity at Hope. I'm going down the road where it's nicer. <laughs> they just give us a 10-minute little thing about Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and I just have to be nice to my friends and neighbours, and we'll all end up in heaven. No, 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 that's choosing the wilderness. A pointless, wandering, dead life. The wilderness was the place of non-activity. The rest of God was the place of battling. Every time you reject God's rest, you choose the wilderness. You choose emptiness of life. Now you've all been there. I've been there. I've, I've wandered sometimes away from what I knew God wanted me to do and I felt very confused and hadn't got a clue what I was doing or where I was going or what God was all about because I had come away from the promised land, a place of trusting holy in God. Point four. And this is the last one. God made every provision for his people in the wilderness. I've got this in my head of late. You must have been, you're fed up with me. It's all about faith, hope and love, isn't it? Faith, hope and love. Yeah, you got that? Yeah, I've banged that on. Yeah, it's all about faith, hope and love. Only in the promised land can you develop your faith. You You cannot develop it in the wilderness. There's nothing to have faith in. You're just walking around in the dust all day. There's nothing to challenge your faith. There's no love in the wilderness because God's angry with you for 40 years. So there's no love in the wilderness, only in the promised land. And there's no hope in the wilderness because you're not going anywhere. There's no focus. There's no direction. There's no end aim. There's no goal. And heaven is not the goal, please. That's not the goal. Hope is is having a vision of possessing the land, fulfilling your mission, the thing that God has called you to do. That's the hope that you have. I want to like, be like Paul at the end and say, I have run the race. I have finished the course. Lord, I believe I've done everything you've ever asked me to do. And now I can come home. That's the goal. Faith, hope and love working only in the promised land. All I hear in the wilderness is grumbling and complaining about how Christianity doesn't live up to what it's supposed to. Shame on those people. Shame on them.
I've got 10 minutes. I'm not giving you any time off. Daphne gave you time off last week, I think. Come to Mark's Gospel. Because I want to bring this forward to the life of Jesus. Mark's Gospel and chapter 4. Jesus has been preaching to his people and he's going over the lake to the other side of the lake and we know what's on the other side, the Gadarene demoniac. So listen to this passage, it's in Mark 4 and 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, Be quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Moses was a type of Jesus. Moses was the representative of God to lead the people. He was their deliverer. He was their saviour to take them into the promised land. Jesus is the actual deliverer. He is the actual saviour. He is the one to come to take us into the promised land. Now, let's just have a look at this. He gives them orders to get into the boat. It doesn't sound like it. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. How gracious. I can be gracious to you. But behind it is an instruction. There is an order. There is a direction. This is what Philip actually thinks. And this is based on God's word. But it comes, please come with me. Okay. So we get there. So they get into the boat. And he says something to them. What does he say to them? Someone say it. No, no, before that, when he gets into the boat. Let's go to the other side. Where were they going? To the other side. Yes? Without a shadow of a doubt? See, going into the promised land with the Jerichos and the enemies and the giants and all the wild beasts, God says, trust me, you go. No thanks, I'll go this way because this is too horrendous. So Jesus says, Come into the boat. Come on. We're going to the other side. You have to listen carefully to what God says. He never said we're going to the bottom of the lake. He said we're going to the other side. So they get in this boat and others start to come. I got the idea that when the storm came, the others started to go back. So we get a storm, okay, it starts to blow up. Then it says in my NIV, it describes this as A furious squall. Now I thought, that's interesting. Never used the word in my life. (laughs) Hello, darling, have you just come in from the furious squall? (laughs) No, so you're thinking, what is this furious squall? And it's in the NIV. So I look it up. I look up, examine all these stuff. I've got lots of books in there to help me do that. In the authorised, it's the word tempest. 
Oh, I said, yeah, I read a book once called The Tempest. Yeah, okay. That's about all I know about Tempest. When I looked up the word Tempest, you know what it said? Earthquake. Can you believe it? That wasn't a storm. That wasn't a storm. They stepped in to where Jesus called them into an earthquake. Would you follow Jesus? Come on. Jesus doesn't change. Same yesterday, today, and forever. So he says, come on, Esther. Come with me into the earthquake. You go, I think I'll stay here, actually. I've got my husband. I've got my kids. I've got my home. I've got everything else. Can you just leave me here? He said, no, no, you've got to come into the earthquake. They could not have bailed water out of that boat fast enough. Not in an earthquake. It wasn't a storm. It was an earthquake. So the boat is filling and filling and filling. And what they're doing, do you know what they're doing? They do what you do in the wilderness. You grumble and complain. You grumble at the fact that Jesus is asleep. You're wondering if he's dead. I mean, in the midst of an earthquake, he is asleep. You think, has he died and gone? What should they have done? What they should have done? Just held on. 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 Trusting their God. Trusting their God. Trusting their God. Trusting their God. If we drown, we drown. If we burn, we burn. But we're going to trust our God. How do I know they should have done that? Because when they wake him up so rudely, and then they insult him to his face, and challenge his divinity, challenge his mercy, challenge his love, he says, you're a bunch of cowardly people. I said to you, we're going to the other side. You need to listen carefully to the word of God unless you drift away. I didn't realise that Christianity was as miserable as that. I didn't realise that not only is the devil trying to kill me, it looks as though Jesus is trying to kill me as well. I mean, everyone's trying to kill me in this life. Do you know I'm going to Serbia? I just hope there's some real enemies over there. Do you know what I mean? Just real opposition. I don't want to live like a wilderness Christian walking round and round and round and round, worrying about where I'm going to eat next, how tidy my flat is, and all the other rubbish that we can think about all of our lives that just fill our life with stuff. A tidy flat is important. Meals are important. I get that. But they mustn't occupy the whole of our thinking. Your work is not to occupy all of your thinking. It is the battle that we face. That's important. If you follow Jesus, you enter the promised land, you enter into God's rest. This means battling, difficult situations, trusting God, believing in God, that the tempest comes, the earthquake comes, and you just hang on 
because you hear the words ringing in your ears, let's go to the other side. Is it possible? That's what Paul did, didn't he? The boat was being smashed up, but the angel said to him, hang on tight, tell no one to jump off the boat and I will save every one of you. And he said, an angel of God came to me and said, stay tight. The boat will be smashed to bits, but we will all survive. It's there in the Bible for you. Isn't this an exciting life we have? Oh. What terrifying and impossible thing are you facing? Nothing? I'm going to pray that that changes. I'm going to pray that things come in your life that frighten the living daylights out of you. That unless you throw yourself on the mercy of God, you're sunk. You're totally sunk. I'm going to pray it and pray it and pray it in this church, okay, that we have more difficulties, more things that we can trust God with. Why? Because that is the promised land of God. Not for the sake of it. I don't want trouble for the sake of it. I remember, you know, years and years ago, I was at South Harrow worshipping God. I was only 20 years of age. I was nearly mad. And the pastor we had then, he must have preached a sermon like this that got me so excited. And then at the end of the meeting, he used to ask people to close in prayer. Remember, we don't do that sort of thing here. We're far too modern for that, Dave. And he said, Philip, close in prayer. And I was so excited. I said... Oh, God, bring me problems this week. Bring me trouble this week. Bring me hardships this week. I was, and I could see the people's looking at me, you know. And so this man is off his rocker. No, I've been off my rocker always. Do you have challenges? I mean, real, real spiritual challenges in your life. If not, you could be in the wilderness. That's a terrible place to be where God provides everything for you and you don't live by faith. That's a terrible, terrible place to be. We need to be in this place. Plead with him that he will call me into the earthquake. Deliver me, Lord, from the wilderness. Amen. As Audrey is getting to her feet, remember the song we sang. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wonder. And my faith will be made strong.